0: I've seen so much emphasis put on lean this and lean that, and we're going to put together a manufacturing cell, and we're going to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have any customers for all that, then you're not really going to do much.
1: This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graf. Our guest on today's show is Wes Spendowski, plant manager of Wyandotte Industries, a multi-spindle shop near Detroit. Wes says one of the keys to Wyandotte's success is that the company is constantly quoting new jobs. He says that even if your company only lands a small percentage of work it attempts to get, persistent quoting will get your company's name out and lead to work down the road. including Index, Schütte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.grafpinkert.com. That's www.graff.com. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. I am very honored to be with Wes Bendowski of Wyandotte Industries uh, in Michigan, just south of Detroit. Yep. He came to our shop to uh, take a look at buying an 8-spindle Acme, an RB8, and actually was on the show before, talking screw machines. And I figured he was perfect to discuss our new season of uh, finding new work. So welcome back, Wes. Um, I'm also here with Lloyd. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. You you are my my occasional and favorite co-host. So just to start, Wes, let's give everybody like the two minute summary of Wyandotte so they know where you're coming from.
0: We began as a specialty nut manufacturing company and we just made nuts. We didn't make anything but nuts. So when people, you go, you have nuts at a hardware store that are standard product, they're, they're headed, they're cheap, they're standard sizes. We make nuts that are not standard. They're not standard in size. They're not standard in thread. They're custom. Um, so that there is a niche and it enabled our company to begin and grow gave us our beginning in the beginning when my grandpa started the company his uh he came from a shop that made standard nuts and the owner his boss told him that after a year he wouldn't have a shirt on his back after a couple years my grandpa offered to buy him a couple shirts (laughs) so the idea worked out pretty well of going into making a product that was not standard product more more of a niche Mm -hmm. and uh the company where my grandpa started off, they ended up going out of business in the eighties, you know, as the imports came on and well, we survived. So we branched out, uh, right around the late nineties, we started making other products. We got away from making exclusively nuts. And we started off with some pretty simple screw machine parts. And we, uh, went to more complex parts, the complex parts, uh, gave us a lot more opportunities to quote. And I think in the leaner years, when I think about like what were the leaner years of the business, the leaner years would have been probably around 2008 to about 2016. Mm -hmm. It was like you had to be able to do some really difficult things that you didn't want to do, and you had to take whatever work you could get to survive. So going into making more difficult products to make uh, gave us a chance to survive our company. Interesting. Yeah. So you diversified.
1: You got yeah. new equipment. You got new talent, and then that was that helped you for the future.
0: Actually, I mean, a lot of our guys have been with us for years, and and they, you know, they were good at making nuts. So when we started making other type of product, they caught on pretty well. It was a real luxury to go into that to have. An established shop and an established crew, um, so I, I don't think the learning curve was too bad. Like when I compare what I started with for guys going into the, these new products versus like taking a guy from scratch and teaching them these new products. Wow, you know, it it, it is uh it is no joke this trade. That, that's for sure.
2: Okay, have you, have you recruited mostly from the Polish community?
0: Oh, I wish. <laughs> I don't even know where they are in my area. I do word of mouth. I had I had something kind of interesting happen the other day. I, I'm standing in the lunch meat line. I go to get some lunch meat. This guy, uh, this young guy, starts talking to me. So I order some London broil. He goes, "Is that good?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "What is it?" He goes, it's, "I said it's roast beef." And he starts talking to me, and we're having a conversation about sandwiches, you know. and I said, yeah, you know, I like to get a sandwich. You know, it's easy. It doesn't take a lot of time. And I got kids and dogs to take care of, so I don't have a lot of time to cook. And I said, because I'm working and and he goes, well, what do you do? You know, and he said, are you hiring? So I've got this young guy talking to me. And How old is he? Probably like around 22, somewhere around there. He um, asked, well, where are you guys? Can I come apply there? I said, yeah. And so I told him where we were. He goes, well, I live on 17th, 17th is like four streets over. So he basically lives in the same, like within probably a thousand feet or, you know, a quarter mile or or so of us, you know, he's, he's right there basically right by us. He could walk there. So how's that, how's it worked out? Well, this was, uh, this was yesterday. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so I'm here. So I I told him to fill out the application put my name on it it will reach my desk and i will give you a job He yes how many hours do you work how much money all, all that stuff and i answered his question i said where do you work now he goes he looks at me he goes i work here you know <laughs> i'm like okay
1: let's get to the topic since you're bringing up work and west came here to to buy an eight spindle acme uh relatively young machine in screw machine years in 1984 hopefully oh yeah hopefully he'll follow through on it but in any case uh how do you guys get work these days first of all and and then we'll talk about different kinds of work but what is your main your main method
0: quote 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 we -hmm. employ uh a number of uh, manufacturers reps out in the field that work off a of commission and we have an in-house sales staff. And yes, it's So over. do those work together? They work together. They work so, together, okay. So those sales reps are, they're sending in the, the RFQs to our, our sales, our in-house sales, and our in-house sales, they get with me. And they get the technical information off of me so that we can come up with a price for that job. And then they, you know, they get the cost for... The raw material our hourly rate off a machine and we 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 put a bid together
1: so you put a bid together with the in-house sales team and then you go to the sales rep and then you say find us some customers and then you quote the jobs am I getting this right
0: no the sales rep what they do is they bring the opportunity to us they bring the customer the customer to us then the customer wants they want us to quote this part and then we put together a quote, we quote that part, and sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not, but we're, we're so out there with customers. We see so many RFQs because we're so out there from, for being so aggressive about pursuing work that we have opportunity and to make lots of different parts. What is, what's the point of having an in-house sales team if there's a sales rep? Well, because a manufacturer's rep doesn't manufacturer. really have the, they don't really have the skill to put together a, a price estimate on a job. A, a manufacturer's rep is somebody that they, they they can get inside a company and they can talk to somebody, the, the buyer. They're, they are the people that communicate with those buyers, you know, for your company Your in-house salespeople, they are the ones that help put together the bid for the job. Okay. And you can justify both. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, hey, when I look at our company, we're we're a good shop. There's better shops out there than us. Uh, A lot of better shops that have gone out of business because they're not very good at finding work. So uh, I've seen so much emphasis put on lean this and lean that, and we're going to put together a manufacturing cell and... We're going to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have any customers for all that, then you're not really going to do much. So you you threw out a very wide net. Is what oh, you're yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and the thought being the more options you have, the more jobs you look at, the more uh, you'll get. Even if you only get 10, 15 percent of them. If you're looking at a uh, hundred jobs a week,
0: you're going to be pretty darn busy. Absolutely. And when a buyer knows your company, when buyers know your company, what happens often is, you know, maybe they buy from somebody else, you know, on that product, but they get in a pinch and they need you. You know, they maybe they buy those parts from offshore or what, and the boat's not coming in or they're having problems with their supplier over there, and then they come to you. Um Boy, there, there was a big company a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, is, is really well known for you know going to going to China, and they're really getting tired of some of the problems they're having. So that there they are, they're looking at bringing a lot of work back. Uh, I think the cost is rising over there to the point where us shops in this country, we're not as far off as we once were, mm-hmm. and the convenience of dealing with us is 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 good, you know. So these sales reps you know, even if we hadn't done business or even if we hadn't done business for a few years with with, with a past customer or what they still know who we are. Mm -hmm. You know? So getting your getting your company out there is a big one.
1: Interesting. My conundrum a little bit with the manufacturers rep. These manufacturers rep, they are working with lots of manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And what people say is that they're supposed to only be doing for this specific part, they're supposed to be only representing you. That's my exp- that's mm-hmm. that's that's the the feeling I get because if they were representing more than one person, it'd be like they were just like a market maker. Well, let me give you an example. So, what's your relationship? Um, I know that there's different there's different dynamics.
0: Let me give you a great example of a, of a manufacturer's rep, and it's not even one of ours. But I have a tooling uh, manufacturer's rep, okay, and he carries like five different companies, all right? And they all make different types of tools that I need. So that works out great. That's a great relationship. So a lot of like our manufacturers reps, they carry other companies because they may not necessarily be able to survive on just the commission off our jobs. But if they carry, you know, five or 10 companies, they can make a decent living doing that. And a lot of times it's related stuff, you know? that manufacturers rep, they may carry a a forging company or a cold heading company, you know, uh, other companies that are related to that industry. And then they use that integration to bring them all together. Absolutely. Those are good people. Those are good people to meet.
1: Right. But do you think that that same guy you have has another, maybe he has another company in his portfolio that's similar to Wyandotte?
0: You never know. He's not supposed to. You know, that is something that uh, I honestly can't explain. What you know?
1: You're more just looking for the results rather yeah. than oh, does he is he doing somebody else as well? Yeah.
2: What are the problems that people are seeing uh, bringing stuff over from China now?
1: Well, our to... Delivery. Oh, you're Delivery. saying bringing people. Delivery bring is back. a big
0: yeah. problem. You know, hey. used to be you know back in the old days maybe 20 years ago people used to say that china couldn't make good products but but they're capable of making good products that's not really a a fair statement anymore in my opinion for the most part unless you're talking don't get me wrong there's some jobs um out of some of the tougher metals where their quality just may not be up to snuff but but they can do pretty good work the delivery is the biggest issue and time is money, and, and when you can't sell your product, your company can't make any money. So if you're, if you're importing from China, bringing parts in from China, and you're sitting there waiting for parts, and you can't assemble what it is you assemble here to sell, then you're losing money. So the convenience of buying locally, there's a big convenience in buying locally.
2: Right. And and with people uh, wanting to skip on inventory mm-hmm. um, and work in process. Uh, They want uh, a local source that they can rely on, which enables them to keep less inventory
0: on hand, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, you can make a phone call and you can have parts on your door in four weeks.
1: We were talking a little bit about the power of having the good old-fashioned multi-spindles. The good old-fashioned eight-spindle. Inch-and-a-quarter acne's. Tell me a little bit about how that gives you an advantage for getting work over your competition.
0: Well, it's a, it's a reliable tank. I mean, <laughs> we, we have CNC's in our shop. We like CNC's in our shop. But uh, an Acme is, you rebuild an Acme, well, you'll never rebuild it again, basically. You know, and the thing will still be running after you're gone. So it's quite a reliable machine, which makes it a cheap machine to produce parts on, produces parts at a high rate, produces pretty good quality part for what it is. It puts you in a good price point that I think fewer and fewer shops are going to be in because I see fewer and fewer shops um, using that type of equipment. I think it's going to be one of these games of if you have the machine, you're going to get the job. And I have been. If you have the
1: people that can run that machine, if you
0: have the people that can run the machine, and in our shop we're going to have the people, so there's no question about it. uh,
2: So you also don't skimp on people. If you can hire a person, you can find a good person. You you hire them and you figure out how you're going to use them.
0: Yeah, you try to find diamonds in the rough. You try to find uh, guys that. they have a reason. You look for ambition in people. Because I tell you, a guy in this business, if they want to learn to run these Maltese, could really do well if yeah. they have the ambition to learn. But how, how difficult is it to find somebody that wants to run a tank? It's extremely difficult, without a doubt. It, it is difficult. But once they get so good, they realize that here they are. They're hanging out and... The machines are doing all the work and they're just hanging out. So it's actually not like I, I see. I Maybe see, people
1: don't want that necessarily. I, but. Say,
0: I say to one guy, I say, well, you could be out busting concrete all day for this much money. Imagine that. No, you're not busting concrete. So he's able to work long hours of time and a half and line his pockets running those machines making easy money. Right. Versus going out and busting concrete. Can you imagine that? Going and busting concrete for 12 hours? People do stuff like that. I couldn't do it. Wow. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it gives you a you have a few alternatives. You could be running it maybe Swiss. Right. So that part might take twice as long. It might take a minute and you can do it in 20 seconds. Maybe you could run it on a CNC index. And maybe you mm-hmm. can do it in twenty seconds, but you're going to pay a million dollars.
0: Yeah. So you, either way, it, it, what that means is, I mean, your your hourly rate, you know, your hourly rate on a million dollar machine is, I mean, I don't. First of all, I don't have a million dollar machine, but I'm just guessing. What on earth does the hourly rate have to be triple? You know, to pay for a million-dollar machine to justify that, and then support—where's your support for that machine? You know, can you can you develop Well, it's support? probably better support than an acme. <laughs> can, can you support. develop? <laughs> yeah, an acme is a relatively simple machine to though to, to That's true. And to, and to keep running, I mean, it, it's like you look at some of these old like vacuum cleaners and how simple they're they're built. You know, they're built for the homeowner to fix their own vacuum, basically, or a car. Yeah, there you go. That's a great example. I look under the hood of my father-in-law's GTO and I see an engine and I see a bunch of air. Yeah. <laughs> I look under the hood of my my uh, 2019 bullet mustang and I can't even see the ground when I'm looking <laughs> under the hood. Because there's so much in there. Even I, I have an eighty six trans AM2 in my garage and I look in there and it's it's like even there I can I can still see ground, you know.
2: So you were saying you don't do that much automotive work, even though you're in Detroit.
0: Right. We, what happened in the 80s when things really went kind of to pot, right around, I think, 82, 83, is we, that that was where our company decided we wanted to go in a different direction. My uncle talked to me a lot about this one, back when he was living, about what happened and why they wanted to get away with that, because we, we, we couldn't live and die with the auto companies. So we went out and and we were gunning more for a lot of different markets and different types of of parts. Uh, Still nuts, but nuts from a lot of other markets. We used to do a lot of nuts for Chevy. And, you know, if you look at the American automakers, I mean, look at how big they were. I mean, GM, what, in 1979 or something was 58% of the uh, the U.S. auto market. So you can just imagine... (laughs) you know, the demand was great. What are they today? About 16%. I mean, so GM today is a fourth of what they were in 1979. So if your company was relying on those guys and you stuck with that program, chances are your company's out of business by now. True. So thank God we didn't do that. Thank God we branched out and looked at other stuff. I think that was where, I think those were the years those were definitely some years that probably progressed our, our sales philosophy. But uh, way back, like in the early days of our company, um, one of the partners of my, uh, one of my grandpa's partners was was a salesman. So that was one of his first partners. Mm. So this is who, this is who instilled the mentality in our company of we must, you know, go after, go after, go after. Even when we're we're up to up to our eyeballs in work and they're still going after work a month ago I'm like I'm, I'm like I'm up there telling them God come on man are you guys sure you want to take more work and I'm like, god
1: well how often do you uh, do you fire customers
0: <sighs>
1: is that that must be
0: somewhat of a challenge to uh... you know that's a question I can't answer because I don't it's not very often I, I know that just from being out on the floor but
1: something has to go has to go if you're going to get something new eventually well,
0: well I mean if you want a customer to go you raise the price then at least you keep if you keep them you, you're getting paid more for the work right and that makes a great deal of sense to me so you have to kind of filter out your work and figure out what what work is it that you want to keep in your shop and uh,
2: do you do that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. When we see work, that's, you know, it's beating us up. Everybody's taking a job where they take a job and you think that it's going to go all right. And you get your butt kicked by it two, three, four times. And you finally get to the point where you're like, we can't make this part for this much money. We're going to have to go back to them. We're going to have to raise the price, whatever, 40 percent to make this part, because this is how much it costs our business to make this part. Yeah, and you usually hold on to the part uh sometimes yes sometimes no mm-hmm. you know but you don't lament it if you don't no we don't sweat it
1: well they wouldn't be raising it if I mean also apparently they have enough so it, it's addition by subtraction
0: yeah but hey you never know I mean you never know what's around the corner you never know what the future holds you it's smart to, to really try to Even right now, where we could say, well, you know, work's so good, we don't need any more work. We still need to be going after work, and we still need to be fighting to grab every new customer that we can grab in this time. Because in five years, we don't know where our economy's going to be. We we don't know where we're headed. Sure. You know. Um, Okay. Buying a machine
1: before the job versus getting the job and then buying the machine.
0: Opinion. Been there. (laughs) I've been there. Well, I think it depends really on the customer, you know, and your relationship with them and how much do you trust them and, and take a look at how much are you going to spend on the machine. We spent right around, I think this would have been about 2009, 2010. We spent about 225000 on a machine. We, on one we, machine. We, yeah, we had the need to, we, we needed higher technology for these jobs. They were um, gun scope parts. You know, fancy like for the sniper rifle and the military like type. The, the these were very expensive scopes, and we 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 got a contract to make a lot of those parts, and we were making them with extra ops. So we were making making them and then we were processing them in a vertical mill, and we wanted to be able to dump those parts off complete. There was a lot of reasons, uh quality reasons where we felt we could have made a better quality part, we could have made a lot more money. Uh, they they were flimsy. They were made out of aluminum. They weren't something that we liked running in a VMC. There wasn't much to grip. Okay. So we we took the chance. We figured you know what we're gonna need this anyhow. We see where we're headed. It's like we had nothing but uh, just two axis lathes, no live tooling, nothing like that. And we went ahead. We took the chance. We we bought a machine with live tooling. And what do you know? I mean another. I think we bought our next machine, our next live tooling machine came in, I think it was about 2014, about five years later, our next live tool machine came. And then uh, three years after that, we bought another live tool mm-hmm. machine.
1: But you never, but you seldom actually go, I've been wanting this machine for a while. I've had my eye on it. I'm just going to go get it and spec on it because I could see the right job coming along for this.
0: Do you ever do that or not? I I I'd be for, for me in my shoes. I'd be more likely to do it if I had more talent out on my floor where I could, you know, you, you take on a new machine that you don't know anything about, and someone, some brain in your shop's going to have to dive into that machine. And okay, really, what if you did have the knowledge of that machine? Oh heck yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean within reason here for money. Okay. I wouldn't go out and buy a million dollar machine. No way. I'd probably take a look at like the used market, like what you guys have here. You know, these machines you have here, you've got some machines that, you know, for, for what you're selling them for, it's a pretty good value for a shop to take one of those and and spend the time and learn the machine and upgrade their company versus going out and buying a brand new machine, a version of, of one of those machines out there that, uh, You know, we're not a big business, you know, so you take you go out and spend two, three hundred thousand dollars on a machine. That's a that's a chunk of change Mm -hmm. for a company our size, like our ambition. We don't have the ambition where we want to be in that arena of million dollar machines. Mm -hmm. We don't want we don't want to be in hydromats and buffolis and making millions of something. We just we don't want anything to do with that. Some people do. Some people do really well at it. They're good at it. But looking at our company and and who we are, what we do, probably not what we want to do.
2: So you consider yourself sort of right in that middle uh, area that that sweet spot for you is not super sophisticated, Mm -hmm. not down and dirty, but something that requires experience, reliability and, uh, confidence and, and, and a good
1: business model.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. not, but I mean, but that's appealing to a lot of people. We're not so complex that I've made some mistakes with, with things I've done over the years. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I felt like, well, Hey, I want to be, become more, more and more high tech, but you have to think of, well, how are you going to support those machines, mm-hmm. you know? So my grandpa, on the, other, uh, on the other hand, was simple how he did things. He liked to keep everything simple so that the shop always ran. He, he didn't have downtime. He might have had more ops to make something, but, he, but his operation was simple. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that, wasn't, that wasn't really that foolish of a move because of his uptime. I'm somewhere in between there. You know. But can simple and not real smart succeed today? Oh, most certainly can. Yeah. A simple shop is a shop that's up and running. A shop that gets too complex is a shop that needs really expensive engineers, really expensive maintenance people, and a lot more skilled people that you have to pay a ton of money uh-huh. and hope you can find and hope you can keep. Uh-huh. So, really? you, so us... I think the business model I want to build around is a sustainable business model based on the conditions that I see in our country. Right. And as long as you can
1: keep finding good work for an Acme, mm-hmm. and keep them going, then why not? Oh, an Acme. I think some people are just enamored of computers and look how cool this machine is. So oh, we yeah. should. So we should use it versus. You know, it's you sometimes hear people say an investing boring makes money
0: <laughs> i'm looking at i'm looking at pieces per hour and i'll be honest with you you know the, the machine i'm more impressed with between the i mean the maize are great they, they 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 serve a good purpose for what we do in our shop but an acme is an impressive machine for how many parts that you get at the end of a day and some of the tougher materials you can run in it and how reliable they are and they really Is it are. accurate enough for today's world? Oh, most certainly.
1: You heard it here, everybody. Acme's.
0: Well, <laughs> we got we got a bunch. We're stocking up. Let's, I mean, you know, let, let's be realistic. I mean, you're not, um, you know, there's limitations, of course. But uh, I, I see a decent amount of work coming into our company that, that can be ran on those machines. No reason it can't be.
1: So, do, do. Um, matter of uh, do customers ever go? What well, you're running this on an Acme? I don't want this run on Acme. I want this run on something uh, modern, made this century.
0: Well, if they said that, then they'd have to pay for it. We can we can put it on as sophisticated a machine as they want if they're willing to pay that hourly rate that we have to charge to put it on a more sophisticated machine. I mean, our, our Acmes have the tooling in our Acmes is 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 good. We're using carbide tooling. We're using. We use really nice uh, new market shave holders, new market tool holders. Mm-hmm. Our Acme's are, are, are nice. They're well-maintained machines. Our maintenance department is, is top of the line in our company. That is one thing I could say. Awesome.
2: What, what else can you tell us about getting work uh, as we wind this up?
0: What's the biggest challenge you have? I I, I think it's talent, for sure. It's talent. It's, it's finding the talent out there in the shop. So you're afraid, you're saying, if you can't find the right talent, then you don't want
1: to quote certain jobs. So that's yeah. that's the problem.
0: Yeah, because you don't want to destroy the reputation of your company. If you take a job and you destroy the, the order and you ship it to a customer like that, you're not getting another order from that customer. Sometimes you're better off saying no and being taken, you know, continue being taken seriously by a customer than you are shipping them a, a bunch of bad product. So. True. We have to kind of stay within what, what we think we're capable of doing. The CNC machines, hey, the more money you spend, the bigger of a lot you can do of really fancy, sophisticated parts. That's just not the market we're going after for us. We go after the smaller lots. Um, there's a lot more of those jobs available for sure. Well, thank you, Wes. It's a lot of fun.
1: Really appreciate it, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you tomorrow about that machine. Okie doke. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.